But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. <coughs> Excuse me. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talked about or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Saviour in everything. Sorry, not talking back. I messed that word up. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Thank you for that. It's a fantastic uh, passage of Scripture, Titus 2, and we're going to work our way through that. Uh, in September, we're focusing together on what does it mean to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly young person, a godly child. Um, and what does it mean to be the kind of community that is helping one another to do that? And so if you were here last week, uh, we saw um, some of what uh, Paul had to say to Timothy about being a spiritual father. Uh, being a spiritual father has nothing to do with being a biological father or a legal father. Even though those relationships often involve spiritual parenting, but spiritual parenting happens whenever we are passing on the baton of faith to others. So Paul, as he writes to churches, for example, describes the, the relationship he has as a spiritual father to those churches, not because he had sent messages to them, uh, not because he had merely instructed them, but because he had invested his life with them. He had related to them as a spiritual father to spiritual children children, building into them the gospel, showing as well as explaining what the gospel means for how we are to live as followers of Jesus. And as he gets to the end of his life, Paul is really exhorting Timothy, who he um, uh, refers to as his true son in the faith, to also be about this ministry of being a spiritual father to others. And he kind of puts his arms around Timothy's shoulders and says, I know that you can do this, Timothy, because I've seen your life. I've invested myself in you. I've watched you invest your life in others. And I know that when I'm gone, you'll be able to continue to have this role of being a spiritual father to many and pass on the gospel from generation to generation. Uh, but this is something that's not just for men. This is something that is for both men and women. Uh, we need spiritual fathers and we need spiritual mothers. We need spiritual sisters and we need spiritual brothers. And we need spiritual sons and daughters. That's what the community of faith is meant to be like. Uh, it is meant to be this intergenerational passing on of the grace of God in all of its forms. 
So today we're going to flesh out this idea a little more and we're going to use uh, Paul's instructions to Titus who like Timothy he describes as being a son in the faith. Um, Titus is somebody who's experienced spiritual parenting from Paul and we don't know from who else but certainly from Paul and Paul is now encouraging Titus to build the kind of community where that is going on in the lives of people. But as Paul um, begins uh, by uh, talking to Titus about the kinds of leaders who will be helpful in developing this sort of Christian community, he also, uh, in chapter 1, talks about some of the challenges that will be a threat to this kind of community where people are passing on God's grace to one another in those different capacities. He addresses the, the godlessness that is inherent in Cretan culture. Now, not everything about their culture would have been terrible, but there are some things that Paul identifies which are real threats to godly living and this is what they are there is this culture of laziness of gluttony of uh, idleness and dishonesty and that doesn't fit with what a godly lifestyle looks like Uh, not only that there's a group of uh, false teachers who are infiltrating the church and the kind of religion they teach a little bit like um, what Graham was talking about earlier it didn't really have power to save didn't really have power to transform a person's life it was very external based on showiness where you look like you're very different to everyone around you you may look down your nose at others and judge them for their terrible lifestyles but deep down inside you and behind closed doors you are exactly the same as everybody else it didn't have the power to transform it didn't have the power to save it only had the power uh, to create pride arrogance futility and every kind of evil and uh, Paul says in chapter 1 this kind of teaching is corrupting whole households so as we reflect on our own culture and think about the fact that like um, the people on Crete there are some great things about our culture there are some things in our culture that get in the way of godliness And we need to be aware of that, just as Paul helps uh, Titus to be aware of the culture that he is immersed in. And we also need to be aware of the kind of influences that we have in our lives that might tempt us to pursue a form of godliness, as Paul said elsewhere, that has no real power to it. It's external, it's superficial, it's not actually the grace of God transforming our lives. But I uh, have one of my favourite passages of scripture in Titus chapter 2, and it's this one. And uh, I learnt it in the NIV, so I've got to be careful to read it so I, I get the words that are on the screen for you rather than the words that are in my memory. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Now there's a lot of concepts in there, so I don't want to rush through that. I want us to to actually meditate on that for a second and to realise the beauty of our calling as Paul summarises it here. God's grace has appeared. He has saved us and his desire is for all people to be saved. And as he has saved us and brought us into a relationship with uh, himself, both in this life and the next, it changes the way we live. It helps us to deny those things that we may have inherited from culture. It helps us to avoid the traps of following false teachers. It helps us to live in a way which is an embodiment of the grace of God, which is what saved us in the first place. It helps us to live sensible, righteous and godly lives in this present age while we're waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new. 
we don't conform to the pattern of this world, as, he, as Paul wrote to the Romans, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds as we understand God's grace and live it out in our lives. And again, it points us back to the one who has made all of this possible. It's Jesus who gave himself for us. He's the one who defeated sin and death on our behalf. He is the one who empowers us for a godly life. It's his grace that is poured into our lives and we get to enjoy and then be transformed by and share with others. And that's at the heart of what Titus chapter 2 is all about. It's all about experiencing the grace of God. And Paul is going to give specific instructions to Titus about what that can look like in the lives of particular people in that community. So that's where we're going to uh, bring our attention next. And in particular today, we're going to zoom in to thinking about what does it mean to be the kind of community that is helping women to grow to be godly women, uh, to grow from being sisters and daughters who have received the grace of God and shared it with each other to growing in maturity and being people who can then pass it on to the next generation so that God's grace and what it means to live a godly life because of his grace is being passed on generation to generation. What will that look like in a community of believers? So in keeping with verse 3, I've invited Carolyn to uh, help me today and as I teach through this passage of scripture, I'm going to invite her to reflect on her experiences of what that has looked like and what that can look like in the lives of women because personally, uh, my experience is a little different because uh, I've not uh, done this myself. Uh, unless you hadn't noticed, I am in fact a male. So uh, you'll benefit from hearing a, a female perspective on what Paul is describing in this community. But I want to bring your attention, first of all, as we dive into it, how Paul is coming back to what he emphasised to Timothy as well, that godly instruction and godly example always go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. So as Paul is about to address different parts of the community in the churches of Crete, um, he says to Titus, you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. So whatever you say to older men and women, whatever you say to younger men and women, whatever you say to slaves, whatever you say to any aspect of the community that you have in your churches, make sure that it is consistent with the sound teaching. It's got to be consistent with the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. How people live needs to fit with what the gospel is. He goes on to give some uh, specific instructions. So from verse 6 we read, In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be shamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say. So Titus not only has to be very careful about the content of what he teaches, <coughs> pardon me, to make sure that everything he teaches is in line with God's revealed word and with the grace that we've received in Jesus, he's got to make sure that he watches his life and how he coaches others, for example these young men, in how they live their lives because life and teaching have got to go together. Um, otherwise, one, it proves that we don't really understand what we think we know. And two, it disrupts our fellowship with God. Three, disrupts our fellowship with one another. Four, is uh, an offence to the gospel in the eyes of the world. How are people going to see that the gospel is good unless they see lives that are bearing good fruit? It's critically important, which is why Paul continues to say, this time to slaves. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness. He's not giving an endorsement of slavery. He's writing to people who are in that terrible institution and saying, this is what the grace of God can enable you to do while you have to bear with that injustice. And in doing that, what are you going to do? You're going to adorn the teaching of God our Saviour in everything. 
you know, a slave in the environment that he would normally find himself or she would normally find herself, don't, doesn't have a lot of freedom to speak out God's truth, but they can live in a way which makes people curious and uh, the gospel is proclaimed in their words, in their actions and maybe by the grace of God uh, in their words as well. And after giving some more specific instructions, Paul concludes chapter 2 with this. Proclaim these things to all the different groups that the chapter addresses. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, folks, we've got to take this super seriously. Because as Christians in Perth, Western Australia, or wherever we might be tuning in today, uh, we are a part of a culture just like they were a part of a culture with strengths and weaknesses. Uh, We get influenced by various schools of thought just like they were being influenced by various schools of thought. And we're to submit it all to Christ. Let his words speak into that. Let him be our instructor and together to work out how we're going to live that out so that we may reproduce godliness in one another and all of what God has to say is important. Uh, We're not to neglect any of it. We're not to cherry pick the bits that fit with our culture or fit with what that teacher says. We are uh, to accept this ministry that uh, Paul gives Titus to proclaim all of these truths and not disregard any of it. It's meant to have authority in our lives. And so we're going to pay close attention to what God says through his word so that our lives can reflect his truth. So let's dive into those specific things that Paul talks about as he addresses the church in uh, Crete through Titus, who is their pastor. And this is what he tells Titus to instruct. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good. So first of all, he deals with those who have been following God a little longer, who have a little more life experience, and he addresses the quality of their lives, both men and women. So Carolyn, have you had some men and women in your life that have been like that for you? Um, Yes, when we came back to Australia, I was 10, um, and the church family where we came back to, um, there were some women um, around my mum's age who really looked out for me. Um, There were people who took on a primary school youth group that I was a part of, and in that I was able to observe their love for Christ in the way they served us um, and the way they taught us, so in their actions as well as in their words. Um, I had, I was the oldest of four um, and I had older, I can think of an older brother um, in the faith who would listen as I chatted about what was going on in school, trying to manage what that looked like in a school rather than homeschooling and he would um, listen and um, help me to work that through from a spiritual angle so yeah and many others and I would hope for many of you you've got similar kinds of experiences where as you look back by the grace of God if you've Mm -hmm. been in church community for any length of time hopefully you can spot some people and say you know what they have had a role of building into my life with the grace of God with the truth of God Um, there was a particular story that you shared with me though about a lady who had a a, a profound impact on you when you were younger so do you want to share that one with us Mm. so um I can't remember if I'm smushing two stories into one, um, but it's with the same lady, Annie Nola. Um, came and found me one day. I, I would have been somewhere between 10 and 14. Um, and um, I remember her 
looking at me and saying, it was so out of the blue, she looked at me and she said, Carolyn, um, I can see that you are carrying a weight, something's weighing on you. Um, and I can't remember what she said after that, but I remember still the sense of being, somebody was watching, somebody cared to notice, somebody cared to come and ask me about it. Um, she was the same lady who recognised when I, I came to know Jesus personally, chose to follow him when I was four, a very, very simple faith. But at 13, I was wrestling. I was in high school. How do I live this, really live this out? Um, because this is important to me. And she recognised it as that wrestle of maybe I want to stand up and do something about this. And she, um, I can't remember if it's linked to that time when she when she asked me that question but she was the one who went through a discipleship course with me and um, helped me work that through before I got baptised. Isn't that something that you want for either your children or the children in this church family to have? Uh, godly men and women who are actually noticing where they're at, how they're going and investing in them. Isn't that the kind of community that we want to be a part of? Don't you need it at your age and stage of life as well? As you travel through life's ups and downs, wouldn't it be nice to have people who are paying attention, who notice, who ask, who are available to share God's grace in whatever form that might need to look like for you in that moment? Um, that's the kind of church that Titus is being asked to build. That's the kind of church that God wants all of us to be a part of. Uh, it's not a set of programs. It's not fantastic stuff from the stage and then everyone leaves and goes about their, their, their usual life. It's a community of people where we are all speaking God's truth to each other in the capacities in which uh, God gives us to relate to one another. So um, I guess the question for you is I wonder what your stories would be of when somebody has taken a particular interest in you. And if you don't have those stories, I wonder what would facilitate that happening. Uh, because sometimes we've got to own our own part, don't we, in how we put ourselves into a position where other people are able to invest in us. What are some of the barriers that you've noticed um, in your time in church uh, as uh, both a child, as an adult, uh, when it comes to developing these kinds of relationships where people are able to um, pass on God's grace, pass on the baton of faith really meaningfully? Um, I think to do that you have to um, you have to have courage you have to have courage to be willing to ask good good questions to ask um, something of someone um, and to recognize that they might they might shut the door in your face that can be scary um, you busyness we're busy and to notice how somebody's going um, and then to ask them, they might actually tell you <laughs> how they're going and that might require time. So when you ask that question, do you really mean it? Um, and are you going to make time if, if the, you don't have time right there to say to them, um, I have to go and do this thing but I'm going to follow you up. Thank you for being honest with me. That takes time and it takes courage. So I think busyness... Um, a willingness to sacrifice where we're at personally um, and, and what's um, in our space. Mentoring skills. Um, we don't get to just flip out stuff to people. That's not helpful. We can still be lighthearted and joke, but when we flip out, think about the times when um, you flipped out something or I think about when I flipped out something um, or, um, or somebody's done that to you. And I think it takes 
skills in mentoring, we've got to think about what we're going to say and how we're going to take somebody's um, honest honesty and vulnerability that's precious, that's not something to be light-hearted with. Um, so, yeah, mm. I, think, I think those things. The, um, the story about uh, Aninola was where you benefited from somebody noticing being brave enough to ask a question and diligent enough to follow through and do some discipleship with you, which made a huge difference in your life. And, and you took that on as a core value. And if you know Carolyn, you know that she's somebody who, who does notice and ask questions genuinely. And if I could kind of illustrate that for a minute, this is me, all right? How you doing? Yeah, that's, that's how I ask how you're going. Anyone else like that? <laughs> this, this is Carolyn. How are you going? Um... And many of you have experienced that. And uh, that, that was a, a core value that Carolyn's been shaped by, which was embedded in her by somebody who did that for her. That's what spiritual parenting is. It's when we pass on an aspect of the grace of God and a skill for living that he has given you and you show other people what it's like and what it feels like and how it's a blessing. And then they go, aha. Now, the Bible talks about this. I've just experienced it. I want to do that in my life too. That's what we are called to do for one another. Can I just say, we've just had um, Ruach Day, Are You OK Day, and that's what this is. We don't need a day. <laughs> we just need to notice people because everybody's created in God's image. Every single person matters. Their story matters. Every single one. And that's more important to be able to hear and then pass on some truth about God. We don't need a day. We need to listen and care. Amen. So as we've thought about some of the barriers that get in the way of that and we've thought a little bit about what that can look like, we're going to step through now and, and look at what Paul specifically um, tells Titus that uh, women who are more mature in the faith, who have been walking with God for a while, can specifically impart to the women who are in that particular uh, cultural situation in Crete. So let's step through uh, from uh, verse 4 so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be workers at home, kind and in submission to their husbands, so that God's word will not be slandered. Now this is where we can get into a little bit of rough water because not all of that sounds attractive to people today. Uh, but notice uh, as we look at this, before we get into some of the things where you might go, mm, I don't know if that's good or not, I don't know if I want that or not, before we actually unpack what they are and see how good they are, notice again the same pattern as you get to the end of verse 5, so that God's word will not be slandered. It's so important that we do that practical life training for one another because if we just let each other follow along the patterns of society, follow along what our culture does, follow false teaching as it's always being pushed at us, we will actually not represent God and his character well in the world. But on the flip side, if we change from conforming to the pattern of this world, if we live out what it means to be a godly woman in this case, you will powerfully attest the truth of the gospel. The gospel is good for people. It's good for men, it's good for women, it's good for marriage, it's good for singleness, it's good for parenting, it's good for being like that spiritual aunt figure who invests in the lives of other people's children. It's good for community. Uh, it's good for everyone and everything. So how are they to, um, to do this? Let's step through what Paul says here. First of all, he encourages them to love their husbands 
and to love their children. Now Paul knows very well that not everyone's in this situation because he wasn't in that situation. And he had male and female co-workers and not all of them were married. So he's not assuming everybody is going to be in this situation, but nevertheless many are. And if you are, this is really important to learn about. How to love your husband and love your children. And notice that this is a command. Uh, how do you give a command over people's feelings? Feel better, Troy. Stop feeling sad. Stop feeling picked on. You can't do it. You can't change the way a person feels. No one can command another person's emotions. You can command behaviour. You can command action. And that's what he's talking about here. Love in what you do. Feelings will come and go. And you all know that, don't you? Um, in any relationship, you will feel more loving at some times than others. But love in what you do. Love your husband, love your children if you have them. So we've been married for nearly 24 years um, and undoubtedly I have not earned uh, feelings of affection that whole stretch by the way. So, um, uh, And uh, today our oldest son turns 20, it's Tim's birthday today So, um, and he's not home that, so that's kind of, oh. but uh, we sent him a message and he rang at 6 o'clock this morning, can you believe it? What a good son. Um, <laughs> So uh, over the course of having uh, children, uh, so for 20 years uh, now and uh, of being married, what are, some, what are the sorts of loving skills, those actions that um, women need to talk about and to help each other with? Okay, it's a big list, um, <laughs> but we've got some examples. Um, communication and conflict resolution. How do we do that with our... Um, husbands, how do we do that with our friends? How do we do that with our teenage children? Um, uh, child rearing, practically, spiritually, and emotionally. Um, managing friendships, um, intimacy, and sex. They can be the same thing and they can be very different. Um, discipline, um, understanding how to um, care for yourself um, and have a good work ethic. You know, how do those two things go together? Some of us can be good on the self-care and some of us good on the work ethic and some of us can be good in the middle, but we need to, to balance those things. Um, we need to look after ourselves and work hard. Um, Time management for self and for family. How are we managing our time and our fun stuff and um, our people stuff? Um, um, our work life, our work at home and our work outside of home. Um, spiritual rhythms at different stages of family life. Boundaries. Um. So in other words, there's a whole lot. Um, and the needs of women in different seasons of life are going to be very, very varied. Um, so don't underestimate, ladies, if you have been married and you have had children, how important the skills that you've spent time learning are to others um, because there is so much to learn. Um, so the passing on of that knowledge is really valuable and it's what uh, God has asked our communities to be about. Notice as we continue to work through the passage, uh, Paul calls uh, our mature women to teach younger women how to be self-controlled and pure. Again, remembering the context that they're in, they're in a culture where it's normal to go out, to be idle, to go um, flip from house to house, to drink, to talk about things that you shouldn't talk about. And Paul has seen uh, what this does in people's lives and he wants uh, both old older uh, women and uh, older men to be examples of self-control and godly living uh, and to teach the younger people how to do that. The grace of God purifies us from that kind of life in order to live a pure life, which enables his next point, to be workers at home. Now, how do you read that? How, how does that 
fit with you, that our older women, our godly, mature women, are to teach younger women to be workers at home. Now, you could read that as a woman's place is in the home or a woman's work should be in the home, while a man's should be outside the, the home. And that doesn't really fit with our culture, and it doesn't actually fit with their culture either. Um, to the recipients of this letter, that idea would be nonsense because in those days, both men and women's work was where? In the home. And what they're seeing in their culture is both men and women tend to be idle and lazy and gluttons and flip from house to house and drink too much and talk about you know, pointless things. And so women are not actually being urged to um, not work outside the home, you need to work inside the home, which is how we might read it. That's the assumption we might make. What they're actually being encouraged to do is to work at good things, don't be idle and do what the cultural norm is, which is that uh, gluttony, the laziness, the, um, the gossip and all that kind of stuff. This was written to a pre-industrialised society. And the way that uh, homes worked back then, uh, and there's been plenty of uh, archaeological kind of uh, discoveries of homes in that uh, part of the world where there's uh, grinding stones for wheat or there's uh, threshing floors or there's um, olive presses or there's tools for working with leather or fabrics and those sorts of things. Industry would go on at home and then it would be taken to a marketplace, the agora, um, or there'd be a, a large window in the front of your house and you might sell direct from your home, but both men and women were working in the home. That's where good works happened. Um, and as Paul writes to uh, young women in 1 Timothy 5, he's um, warning them against being the kind of person who leaves the home. And what do you do when you're out of home? Not work. You're going and you're just hanging out and you're getting involved in other people's business and it's not a healthy way to live. He's saying, no, no, in, invest yourselves in doing good things that are good for your family, that are good for community. Um, and uh, there are many uh, well-known people in the New Testament who were known for the good works they did for the benefit of others. There's a tension now, though, since the Industrial Revolution separated the workplace so that for many people their economic work is outside of the home and their domestic work is inside the home, there's a tension of how you balance that. How do we get that right as men and women seek to uh, work in both of those environments? And of course for a while it was the men that went out and the women stayed at home and that's how balance happened. Okay, we'll do the economic work men, women you do the domestic work. So there was a tearing of the teamwork and a separation of the locality of that work. But then over time, of course, uh, the society changed and both men and women are doing work in the arts, in politics, in government, in business, outside of the home and becoming involved in work in the home, in the domestic things that make a home work. Uh, during the 1970s, uh, a French philosopher, writer and activist by the name of Simone de Beauvoir, does anyone remember some of you might. Uh, she was a bit of an outlandish character. She said this when she was being uh, interviewed. No woman should be authorised to stay at home and raise her children. Society should be totally different. Women should not have that choice precisely because there, if there is such a choice, too many women will make that one. How do you go with that? It sounds a little bit outrageous, doesn't it? Um, and I don't agree with it. But I completely understand it because uh, feminists at the time were working to um, establish equality outside of the home. They were looking for equal opportunities in paid work, equal opportunities in government, equal opportunities in the arts and, and so on. And as they fought that fight, they realised that if they didn't have enough women joining them in the struggle in those places, 
they weren't going to see the kind of changes to systems that will enable women to flourish in that kind of work. Uh, so activists uh, like Simone de Beauvoir said, you know what, we need to get all the women from the home, uh, which unfortunately in her way of thinking didn't really matter much, and obviously I think most of us would strongly disagree with that, and we need to put them in these public places in order to achieve equality. They knew that their struggle would fail unless enough women were investing enough of their lives in those areas of work, in business, in government, in the arts, in politics. So... Um, so you can understand why she um, felt the need to, um, in a sense, stifle the choice that many women might make to want to focus their work as being in the homes. So that statement was made, as you can see there, 1975. This may shock you. I was born before that. Um, Carolyn, however, this won't shock you, was born after it. Um, and that kind of wrestle, wh where should women be focusing their efforts has been a part of our culture for our whole lives. Um, some of you might remember a time when society was very different. For us, we've known this tension um, and all of the, the wrestle that's been part of that. You know, how is that meant to work for people? So, Carolyn, what have you experienced or observed about the challenges when it comes to work? Work inside the home, work outside the home, and, and the challenges to godliness that um, that, that brings. What, what do younger women need to hear from older women about how to do that well? <laughs> um, sorry, this is one that I struggled with as we were working through to get my head around. Um, I think um, there are things like how to work skillfully at home. Um, there are things that um, we can learn about running a household. Um, how to teach our children, um, how to run a household. It takes time. You know, if you're out at a job and you're training someone, that's extra tiring. Um, mums do that all the time. <laughs> that's, that's a mum's job, is to train children how to peg out clothes, how to manage their time, how to use their money. It's tiring. Um, so learning how to um, do those things at home, how to juggle those things outside of the home if you are working outside of home and inside of home how are you juggling that are you the person working outside of home and doing it all at home that's that doesn't work you can't raise children go outside the home work there and work at home and do everything too how does that work i don't believe in super women i don't think god created them i think he created women who are strong and amazing, but we're not supposed to be superwomen. We still need sleep. Um, so, how do we juggle that? How do we juggle life? How do we do life out there if that's what we're doing well, and life in here? How do we help people to value what is happening at home? Because once upon a time, you looking after the home that was valuable might not have been as much outside, but now. The home is not valuable. If you have been a stay-at-home mum for any length of time, you'll learn that's not... If you don't get paid, that's not really up there. So how do you manage those things? Because I recognise for the times that I have been a stay-at-home mum, um, I have wasted some of that time worrying about the value of it rather than just getting on doing it. How do we deal with when you have chosen to be home? Um, 
uh, or that's been chosen for you when you've been home and outside of the workplace for a while. I haven't heard this term. Michael called it imposter syndrome. But I, I know what that feels like. You've been out for a while and you come in and you've missed out on a whole stack of skills. Computers, whoa. Um, I was talking to someone the other day who said, where did Save Ads go? <laughs> it's changed a lot. So you come in and you feel not good enough because you've been home raising children and that doesn't feel like it's important, but they're the ones coming through next. We want to build into them. Whichever way it works at home, whether you're the primary one who does that, whether you share that or whether your husband do it, does it, whichever way, that's important work. So if you come in having had a break, that you're not an imposter, it's okay to be there and to be learning. Um, um, how do you deal with jealousy? This is a big one. Women, jealousy, don't know about guys, but jealousy and judgmentalism, often comparing. Um, oh, you've got it so much easier. You've got help from family. I have to do this alone. Um, and then we get judgmental about it rather than just taking care of our corner. And we need people to remind us, this is, this is my corner and I'm going to do what I can with it with my partner in life if I've got them and with the support of my village, with the support of my, my family. Sweet. Well, that's a, a good sample, but as you can see, there's plenty more. Um, so we're, we're going to kind of wrap up our, our conversation, even though we haven't quite got to the last point, which is um, how do you um, be kind and submit to your husbands? What does that look like? Because there's another whole skill set which isn't taught in culture, but it should be taught in the church. So um, we've got heaps of material on that, but we don't have time to go through that today. Uh, the, the, the point, though, is how do we become the kind of community where those kind of honest discussions are happening among women, among men, together with women and men, in the way that is helping us to figure out godliness in our circumstances. Um, I, I think of um, the ones that Carolyn just mentioned, guilt and imposter syndrome, and I've heard that from both sides. I've heard from women who said, you know what, I go to this school event and, and ladies have brought homemade uh, things that they've baked and I've just whipped something you know, from the shelf in the supermarket as I've raced home from work that day and I feel like I'm not good enough as a mum when I turn up with that. But on the flip side, as Carolyn said, others have gone into the workplace and think, well, I've been focusing my attention in, in home-based work and I feel like I don't have the skills that these mums have. It just feels like a lose-lose game. Has anyone felt that? But the church is our safe place. The church is where we get to talk that through and to support each other in making godly choices that might not fit with our culture, but they're good for us. And without us having each other's back in that, where are you going to get the support you need in order to be content with how God says a, a life full of his grace is going to look? And to experience the beauty of that and to, and to share that with others. Uh, in a few moments, uh, we're going to pray for our women particularly. But I want to ask, where do we go to from here? Um, because it's no good just to have a once-off and, and Carolyn's here at sharing some things and you're going, for those who are ladies, yeah, I felt that. And that's it. You know, we've, we've done, we've moved on. Uh, how are we going to continue having conversations? Because all we've done is lift the lid today, haven't we? We haven't actually gone through and really nutted this through in your circumstance, in our circumstance. So what do we do? Sorry, can I just... I just want to go back to a point Michael's made before. Remember that this is... Um, when we get together and we support, that we listen and we care, but we come back to, from God's word. We don't just talk and... Because we can get gossipy and whiny... When we come together in community, let's make sure that we're looking at God's word and we're able to give that gift because that is the best way. It can be hard. I think mm. we've seen that we look at, you know, how do we teach younger ones to be 
um, working in the home and it looks like it just looks like this. So let's unpack that. What does that look like? So there's not more guilt and heaviness. Let's really understand what this means for us us now. Um, but let's make sure that we're getting it from God's word, not from culture. Mm. Recognise the spiritual battle because Satan will want you to hear something from somebody else and dismiss it straight away. Oh, that's just your generation. Oh, you just... No, no, let's actually engage. Let's wrestle through God's word together, just as Carolyn is saying, because it is really, really good for us. So I want to encourage you to do three things. One, just pay attention to your own godliness, your own heart condition. Am I teachable? Do I want more than anything to be a godly woman if you're a woman? Uh, if that's number one for you, then the, the others aren't so hard. If you're not convinced on that, you know, it's going to be a tough call. So make that decision in your own heart. Understand the grace of God for you. Uh, second, remember that when we are being a godly person, we are not like that godly person or that godly person. We're the person God made us to be. So your balance of work outside the home and work inside the home is going to be different, but you're both going to be avoiding idleness. So you're both going to be filling your life with good things. Um, you know, it's going to look different, feel different, um, but we benefit from figuring that out together. And thirdly, Developing the relationships where you're able to be honest and open and vulnerable and not take offence at each other and to, to trust each other's heart, they take time. So turn up, be present, get to know people. Um, there's a bunch of ways you do that. You can do that here on Sundays. You do that in neighbourhoods by getting to know the people who uh, God has placed around you. You get it by joining small groups or ministry teams where you don't just turn up and do your thing, but you actually really get to know people. It's worth doing that because that's the context for everything Paul commands Titus to um, encourage in the churches of Crete. So, one last thing. Uh, we've got a growth group leaders meeting, not this Tuesday night, but the next one. If you want to be the kind of person who is learning those mentoring skills that Carolyn talked about, whether it's running a group or just being a kind of person who does it well, come along to that. We're going to be working on that stuff um, because we want to build these kind of relationships in our church family. So that's not this Tuesday. Next Tuesday night, um, ask me for more information and let me know you're coming. That would be great. Um, but that's an opportunity to go deeper than we've been able to do today. Well done. It's been a longer session than usual, but I think our women are worth it. Uh, it's worth it knowing that somebody understands you and that there is some real hope for your pursuit of godliness. Let's pray.